Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back, everyone, to The Moon Underwater, recently refurbished and featuring Simon Price, music journalist, Manic Street Preachers expert. And Simon, have your, for those of you who don't know, because um, obviously this is a, a, an audio murmuration, Simon has very distinctive hair. He has two spikes of hair uh, going up above each ear. And usually they're, I've seen them black or red, but have you refurbished them as blue? Are they blue at the moment? They're kind of a violet violet shade yeah at the moment um, they remind me of when i used to have a mohican and i would dye it was sort of bleached and i would dye it with temporary dye but the best bit was like two washes in when the temporary purple dye would turn into almost like a sort of sunset of blue and green and purple yeah it's quite nice that sort of accidental fade yeah that is happening right now um i think what happened was during lockdown it was really hard to get hold of any hair dye so i just jumped on ebay when i saw a big box of purple um, directions and now I've got it I've, I'm too much of a skin flint to throw it away I've just got to keep using it so I'm I kind of like um, Doctor Who's TARDIS where you know it was, it was never meant to be a phone box forever it just I think there are budgetary reasons why <laughs> they ended up just sticking with that that's great it's meant to change all the time I have yeah. got very fond memories of just there's a few gigs I went to where you look out across the crowd and you see your devil horns and you think, yes, it's going to be a good night. I remember well, people few... used to use me as a landmark. I used to, <laughs> yeah. at, um, at festivals, people, they, they'd know that I was obviously going to be there and they'd say, all right, I'll meet you by Simon Price at two o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, used to happen. There's loads brilliant. of like, lost children coming up to you and s- saying, I've been told to wait here till my mum finds Weird. me. Leopard <laughs> print Pie Piper, yeah. <laughs> But Robin, you set us uh, the Moon Underwater pub quiz at the end of part one. Um, so please release us from these literary and filmic tenterhooks. Thanks, John. Yes, the quiz this week was about um, titles. Don't know why I said filmic there. Apologies. It's nothing to do with films. There is a, well, there is a sort of film. No Country for All Men. Um, yeah, it's titles of novels which take their names from other works of art, other books, other poems, etc. And the first one was Things Fall Apart, which is a brilliant novel, actually, by Chinua Achebe. And No Country for Old Men by Cormac McCarthy take their titles from poems by which poet? So, Simon, how, what are you saying for that? I said it's 20th century Irish. Oh, goodness me, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but <laughs> Seamus Heaney, maybe? 
Seamus Heaney, John, what are you thinking? Well, I think, can I say it's it's one or the other? Yeah. Is it Yates or Patrick Kavanagh? I think it's Yates. It is Yates. Uh, Ah. I'll give you half a point. Things Fall Apart is from the second coming. Things Fall Apart, the centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Great poem. And No Country for Old Men is from the first line, From Sailing to Byzantium. So question two is The Moon is Down by John Steinbeck and The Sound of the Fury by William Faulkner take their titles from which Shakespeare play? Simon, what are you saying? Wild guess, Henry V. Henry V? Johnny Boy? Uh, I'm going Richard III. Both histoires. But it might also be Macbeth. It is Macbeth. Ah! It is Macbeth. Is that another half a point for me? (laughs) Fleance says to Banquo, the moon is down. I have not heard the clock. And the sound and the fury is from Macbeth's last soliloquy. Out, out, brief candle. Sounds like Mickey Flanagan. Out, 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 out. <laughs> Sound of the Fury is a great book because Faulkner features in The Thirsty Muse, that book about oh, yeah. uh, alcoholic American writers. And I read uh, The Iceman Cometh. Oh, no, that's Eugene O'Neill, sorry. But Sound mm. of the Fury I read, which mm. was such a popular book that he, he sort of never quite recovered from it I've never read it. It's very up my strasser. It's good. It's not particularly long. Right. Uh, yeah, Out, Out, Brief Candle. Mickey Flanagan. I said that already. Life's but a walking shadow. <laughs> a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Lovely speech. And the final, John's effed off. <laughs> You're right. So I'm just closing my. I'm just closing some curtains here at the Moon Underwater. Oh, very nice. Because people can see me in the from nude. Outside in the yeah. nude. <laughs> Question three: What is the origin of the title of Mark Haddon's novel, which has been made into a play, "The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime"? Simon, I'm going to strike out here with a big fat zero because I don't even have an answer for that. So okay, no worries, John. Uh, it's from the Sherlock Holmes book, Silver. Blaze. Well, Silver Blaze. Sorry. No, Silver, Silver Blaze. The Silver Blaze. Yeah. The Adventure of Silver Blaze. Very well done. Yeah. I mean, if you've read the book, you know that Hound of the Baskervilles is a big part of the novel. So mm. I always thought in my head it was Hound of the Baskervilles, but it is Adventure of Silver Blaze. So if you said Sherlock Holmes, I'd give you a point for that. But well, John actually the, got the specific Do you want story. to know what the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime is? Go on. So Silver Blaze is about a racehorse that goes missing. And it's one of, actually, it's one of Holmes's unsolved cases, because they do never find the horse. Uh, But he does solve the mystery of how it went missing. And the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime is the fact that the dog didn't bark. So the dog knew whoever was was passing the threshold. Mm. I listened to that. I mean, I've listened to all of... I mean, I've read and listened to all of his stories probably 50 times each, but I listened to that last week. Wow. Well done. So, John, I think you take that with one and two halves, or two, if you want to be more traditional. Uh, So, great. There we go. Very well done if you've got those at home. Thank you very much, Robin, uh, for a fantastic Moon Underwater pub quiz. But we return to Simon Price's refuge. Now, um, Simon, you said in the first half that pubs for you were a way of escaping from other pubs. Yeah, <laughs> because of the culture of drinking in in Wales when you grew up, and um, I think that'll that'll speak to a lot of people. Um, 
so before we uh, furnish your bar a little further, what's this? What's this? What's this going to look like? Is it going to be a sort of a goth pub, or do you want it to be more traditional? What would you like to see when you walk in? I think it will be goth adjacent, shall we say, in how it looks. Um, I mean, I'd love it to be. I suppose everyone says this, but like an old 16th century coach house, you know, Tudor exterior, the white plaster and the black beams and all that, um, which had somehow fallen into the hands temporarily of of the freaks and the weirdos and the goths and the punks. Um, but we would be respectful custodians of it, right? Because I think with a historic pub, um, the best owners realise they're only the temporary custodians of it and 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 you know there's a duty to hand it on to the next generation kind of unscathed um so none of the interiors would be messed around with too much you'd have a few a few framed pictures of david bowie and grace jones and little richard and divine and other kind of icons of alternative and and queer culture but nothing to to damage the centuries old fabric of the place well is there a bit of a sort of a inheritance from you know the sort of people who might have been in that pub originally your your shelleys your byrons there's a sort of is that there is there's a byronic line fashion wise through some of the um well, i guess that's new romantic more than um well no there's goth there's by there's definitely i mean that's it is literally gothic, gothic yeah absolutely isn't it? or even you know Pirates or Dick Turpin and that kind of that sort of swashbuckling thing. It'd be the sort of place that inevitably the locals would be spreading rumours that it was haunted by a, a headless woman or something. There's a, a pub called the, the Captain's Wife in Sully near Barry that that sort of story goes around about. People will know if, if uh, they're from that area. Oh, I stayed in a I stayed in a place in Scotland called the Drovers Inn, just near Loch Lomond, and I think it's the oldest pub or the oldest hotel in Scotland. And Rob Roy stayed there, and it's full of like um, stuffed animals. There's a huge bear at the front door with its claws. There's a, a a suit of armor and some of the creepiest paintings you'll ever see. But you could definitely write Frankenstein and Count Draclear. Uh, in there like you've walked into the opening credits of scooby-doo yeah. yes it's exactly yeah. like yeah that. yeah <laughs> there'd be there'd be carpet i wanted to say but i wanted the carpet to be red that's important and patterned but threadbare and steeped in history slightly aromatic from from decades of spillages it should be infused with what my my namesake vincent price uh, in michael jackson's thriller called the funk of forty thousand years or oh, the funk yeah. of forty thousand beers maybe yeah mm. and um, and i'd like it to be labyrinthine as well lots of little side rooms and different stuff going on so for example i really want there to be a, a little a mini cinema uh in one room where you get cult classics related to the kind of alternative subculture on a loop so you might walk in in the afternoon or and it'd be hedvig and the angry inch or jubilee or party monster rocky horror velvet gold mine Times square the man who sold uh, the man who fell to earth rather the man who sold the earth and get my bowie things mixed up there so people could just walk in and it'd be free it'd probably be semi-legal copyright wise but when when I was at, at uni, um, they they did this. They were quite coy about it. I remember when Clockwork Orange was still illegal, uh, they would do charity showings of it, just with a poster of an actual orange with a key sticking out. Of it. <laughs> so that kind of thing might happen. Oh, what a fantastic! I really like the idea of this pub. I would I would like to be in a goth adjacent Tudor pub 
with films in it. And I don't know if this is the right time to mention I'd like there to be lock-ins as well. Because, oh, yes. Because from time to time, not always, because you don't want to take it for granted. It feels like you're but... just you're describing the crystal maze. Uh, <laughs> labyrinthine, there are lock-ins. Yeah, literally with um, Richard O'Brien going around, yeah. Um, yeah, I, my, my local pub in London for a long time was called The Black Horse. Um, it was an Irish pub on a back street off Holloway Road. And it was... A very Irish pub, shall we say. Um, it had Celtic scarves stapled to the ceiling. And let's just say the regulars had certain political sympathies, which meant that when I took my mum in there, um, wearing an RAF brooch, because she was a librarian at an airbase, there was quiet booing and hissing. But other than that, lovely pub. And, and uh, 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 you knew you'd been accepted when if they let you stay for a lock-in. There's that wonderful moment, isn't there, just prior to any lock-in, when you see the landlord or landlady going through the motions, you know, drink up now, please, uh, getting all the randoms to, to leave, but someone comes over to your table and quietly says, sort of hush voice, you lot are okay, you, you can stay. It's exhilarating, that moment, it really is. So, so I'd want that, yeah. I think a true lock-in, for me, has to happen on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. Because Friday and Saturday, sort of everyone's expecting to have a big night, but there's something about like hearing the bell at half ten and then getting that little promise that maybe you might be able to extend the fun more than is allowed because it feels more like it's a, it's allowed on a Friday and a Saturday, even though it's not. I mean, there was a pub in Bristol, which we won't say its name, but lock-ins were very frequent there. And probably the police must the police must know about it. You know, they, it's like a nod and a wink. They, they understand what's going on. Where know? does... Okay, so here's a question. Where does a... A lock-in begin and a few drinks if you know the landlord end. I don't know. Because we, what, what I did <coughs> in Bristol was I would befriend an awful lot of landlords. So I sort of, you know how people have like a like a booty call list of numbers they can text <laughs> oh late God. at night? I, I'd have the same, but for landlords. So I'd be like, I'd sort of fire out four or five texts going, you still serving? And, and usually you one up. would come back going, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a boozy call, yeah. Oh, <laughs> here, here, like yeah, that. <laughs> so... What's what two spirits are you having in this uh, pub, Simon? A pub of spirits, it must be said. Uh, my first spirit is a dark rum, and um, it's Havana Club Seven Years or, or Siete Años, I suppose you've got to say. Um, and I actually have a moment of shame associated with Havana Club Seven. And John, you were there. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I wasn't there for the sort of most shameful bit, but I, I do, I do remember. <laughs> I remember that. It's a it's a lovely rum, by the way. Oh, God, it is, yeah. Um, so it's a few years ago when uh, I co-DJed with you um, at Dancing With Dave, um, a.k.a. All My Friends, Dave Masterman's Indie Club. And I saw off an entire bottle of Havana Club, maybe with a little help from, from you, um, that Dave had provided. Or maybe he gave us one each, I don't know. Um, no, there was one. I think you'd seen off a few ciders as oh, well. Oh, definitely beforehand, yeah. <laughs> so I, the thing is... In my defence, um, I was celebrating the end of a six-year relationship. I'll say no more than that. And I was off the leash and I kind of disgraced myself. I lost my vertical hold. And I remember <laughs> at one point you caught me and saved me from going A over T down some steps. Um, I I think I DJ'd reasonably, perfectly well. But yes, afterwards, yeah, very good set. Yeah, but afterwards I probably ruined Dave Masterman's Uber rating. Um, <laughs> by, <laughs> Lovely he, euphemism. Yes. <laughs> he sorted me out with a car to Victoria Station. 
um, and I made the driver stop so I could vomit out of the door. And then I made him go back to the club because I'd left my phone, which Dave very kindly was stood in the doorway giving me my phone back. It had a Welsh flag on it, so he figured out it was mine. So I, I want to take this opportunity to publicly apologise to Dave because it was a very strange and very specific, cathartic moment in my life. I'm not normally like that, honestly. It was like an exorcism. It was. It, like, was. it was like the exorcist. <laughs> it was, it, literally, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, apart from the head spinning, but everything else. That said, at least I didn't play any spoken word meatloaf tracks, so there is that. <laughs> you didn't, uh, because, no. because I'm the only person on earth who can do that sober. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a lovely night. I do remember you just just falling. I'm sorry, and thank you for catching me. Uh, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's surprising after after that. You know, you're saying that when you've been sick on a drink, you can't go near it again. Because normally, you know, I you know I, I am like that, but I am a rum drinker. That's my thing, and. Um, it all began with Malibu for me, um, which is quite weak, obviously. It's coconut-flavoured rum. It's supposed to be a summer drink that you, you have with pineapple. Uh, but to me, it's a Christmas drink because everyone in my family knew that I love Malibu, so I'd always end up with at least one bottle of Malibu for Christmas. Like uh, like, like um, Eddie off Bottom. Oh, right. <laughs> always, always drinking Malibu. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, I, it's weak enough that you can kind of swig it from the bottle. So I'd sneak it into music festivals, and that would be my thing. So I associate it with, with good times, um, and it's my happy drink. And I think that you're sceptical about the idea that different drinks create different moods, but I don't see how it can not be the case. Oh, not different moods. I uh, am sceptical that different drinks cause different hangovers. Okay. Um, because I've spoken to Professor David Nutt, who was the... Uh, dr- drug czar under Blair who got sacked for saying that um, alcohol was more dangerous than ecstasy, even though oh, God. Yeah. it obviously is. Um, and he his research now is solely into alcohol and the effects of alcohol. And I said to him, because I have this argument with people, I said, do different alcoholic drinks cause different hangovers? And he said, the only case in which that's true is if you're drinking a lot of brandy or cognac because they have a, I forget the name now, there's a certain thing in those sort of very rich um, uh, spirits that does cause a slightly different hangover. But he said in terms of like, if you say, oh, beer or cider gives me a different hangover or gin, it's it's not the case. What it is, is the, is the situations in which you drink those drinks. So people who say champagne gives me a terrible hangover. It's usually because you more often drink champagne in the afternoon You'll drink it at a wedding when you've not eaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll drink it for longer. So it's if it basically a unit of alcohol is a unit of alcohol as far as hangovers are concerned. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I, I can I can agree with that. Because yeah, it stands to reason that, you know, a forty percent gin will get you as drunk as a forty percent rum will. But it does different things to you. If if you're grimacing with every sip of one of them, but another one puts a smile on your face, it's going to take you to a different place. You'd be happy or maudlin or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I mean, Malibu is my happy place. I discovered this kind of grown-up Malibu recently called Coco Kanu, which is another sort of coconut one. I nearly went for that. But I thought, you know, no, no, no. Choose a real rum, not a flavoured one. Because apart from anything else, I loathe the rise of the flavoured rum, the proliferation of those spiced ones and vanilla ones. And Sailor Jerry started it, didn't they? And, and now it's everywhere. Like, so I thought, no, get a proper rum. I thought you'd be into the Sailor Jerry's with your sweet tooth, though, no? Well, d- no, I don't really like spiced things. and f- No, not, not with rum. And also, I've got this snobby kind of authenticity thing about Havana Club, even though nowadays what you drink is 
is so divorced from the origins of it. But I first drank it in Cuba, and this is like one of those kind of boasts. Oh yeah, well of course. But but yeah, I mean um, I. I first drank when I first drank it. It was probably the most authentic rum in the world because it was when I was with the Manic Street Preachers in Cuba in 2000 when they they played a gig uh, in Havana. They were the first um, Western rock band to do so, and it was a mad thing anyway because Fidel Castro turned up and uh, it was you know like this thing from this face from history walking what was in. It, but what was it? They said didn't he say louder than bombs? Louder than war. He said than uh, war, yeah. they they warned him beforehand. Um, Are you going to be okay with this gig because it's going to be loud? And he said. Will it be louder than war? <laughs> and they then named the DVD of of the gig louder than war. Yeah, um, but I I sort of went off grid a little bit while I was over there because I I luckily I met somebody who previously lived there and they gave me a few tips and uh, so I just wandered around and there there were these because I'm fascinated by Cuba anyway and the sort of politics and the history of it and there were there were these sort of crazy sort of um, religious festivals called Santeria which is um, uh, this syncretic religion made of elements of Roman Catholicism. And, and African voodoo um, going on in sort of just back streets and alleyways, these these um, uh, rituals. And uh, also there were these sort of salsa sessions taking place in the open air in these amphitheatres. And as you walked along the street, people were opening their living room windows and selling glasses of Havana Club out of the window. And uh, this is the real... Havana Club was nationalised. This is the mad thing. It was It was the state rum. It was because um, it was formed in 1937 or launched, and um, uh, and uh, um, the the distillery was seized during the revolution in 1959, and it then became nationalised. And what we drink now, it's it's owned by Pernod Ricard or whatever, following a legal dispute. I think Bacardi tried to use the name, and then they lost a legal case about it. Bacardi, kind of the bad guys, if if you if uh, to to a lot of sort of friends of Cuba, but I won't go into that. But yeah, Havana Club, it's just got this sort of uh, th- this at least the the, the dna of, of the original cuban rum for me and uh yeah it just makes me think think of that and 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 i also i just love that gorgeous kind of burnt sugar flavor that any good dark rum has and it, it's my end of the night drink when when i've had too many ciders and i want to slow i want to slow down my fluid intake so i'm not pissing all the time and move to a short havana club and coke always rounds off east evening if you like Havana Club, you'll love um, Mount Gay XO. Ooh. So when I was in Jamaica, or the, or, well, no, when I was in Barbados, you sort of expect when you go to countries where that sort of drink comes from that they have sort of special types that you don't get over here. But Mount Gay is the sort of the the big rum. But the um, the the XO, it's absolutely delicious, and it is a dark rum. But in the sense, not like it, it's darker than rum, but it's not like a sort of black, like treacly rum, like um, like uh, Captain Morgan's or um, what's the, the the navy one? Lambs. Yeah. Lambs. No, there's another one. It's um, I think it might be called Old Navy or something, but it's like fifty six percent, and it's oh, it's gorgeous. But anyway, do do check that out. But what's your what's your second uh, spirit? Well. This is a real Brighton thing, and it's Tuaka. Um, it's mostly brandy with a note of vanilla, which probably contradicts everything I just said <laughs> about flavoured rum. But um, the difference is it's usually drunk as a shot, 
And it's one of those brands that has what seems to me to be a fake backstory, like suspiciously like a fake backstory. Oh, like you know, Bombay get, Sapphire. Yeah, or you know, yeah, or, or Hollister, or, or Moleskin Notebooks, or Frankie and Benny's. You know, you, you, they have this uh, this sort of um, hokey backstories to them. I mean, Tuaka claims to date back to Renaissance Italy, the um, the uh, Livorno region to be specific. But I've asked people from Italy, no Italian person I've met has ever heard of it. And Occam's razor points to, towards it being invented in Sussex, probably, but I, I don't really care. It's so great. It's 35%. So the brandy is bracing at first, but the vanilla soothes you. So it's like getting punched in the face and then getting a hug. So it's it's, it's an abusive relationship, really, you know. There's, uh, there's an advert on Brighton Station when you get off the train uh, on the platform. There's an advert, Welcome to Brighton. And it's got a bottle of Tuaka next to it. And when you see it, it's like a little nod to the wise that if you know, you know. Because Tuaka fulfills the role that Sambuca does in other towns. Uh, they sell it at Comedia, which is where I do my alternative 80s night, Spellbound. I know you've performed there as well. I've also been to Spellbound. You've been to Spellbound, yeah. But I think you weren't drinking at the time, so um, you didn't get Tuakered. But... Um, when, when someone comes over with a tray of tuacas, it's it means the night is about to undergo a gear change from which there is no going back, you know. Um, I mean, I love a shot drink anyway. I've, I've got chocolate tation at home, which is kind of schnapps. Um, but tuaca is so very Brighton. So by choosing tuaca, I'm raising a shot glass to Brighton and all the great times I've had in it. Oh, well, two fantastic choices there, Simon. So, so far, we have in uh, your refuge pub with a threadbare red carpet, aromatic <laughs> with the funk of 40,000 beers. It's labyrinthine Tudor rooms taken over by freaks, goths and punks with photos of Bowie, Grace Jones, Divine and other queer icons on the walls. You've got Cornish Orchard Cider on draft, Brains Dark a bottle of Cote de Rhone Le Petit Calf and Two Dogs Alcopop. And you also have your two spirits, Havana Club, Seven Years and Tuaka. But Robin, to the library at last! Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Thanks, John. Welcome to this week's pub library. And I'm keeping it lowbrow uh, with some Proust. Uh, Simon, you, you lived in Paris. So you, do you ever get get through much Proust? I didn't study Proust, so being lazy, I never read him. But um, I'm uh, excited to hear uh, the extract you're going to give us. Well, I thought my friend Tom said recommended reading it in the modern translation because there was because it, it is re- it is very hard and it is very long. Basically, too long didn't read. He eats a Madeline and then remembers stuff for four thousand yeah. pages. <laughs> That's a bit everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I just finished volume one, which is called "The Way by Swans," and um, I did. I think I started it in December, so it's been it's been a, been a while. But um, this isn't got anything to do with pubs, but it's some of the best writing I've ever read about memory and about nostalgia, and so I thought that was why it was appropriate for this. And Simon, we've been, you know, you, you know, in many ways, you're trying to recapture the woodpecker. I certainly am, uh, as we all are. And so this is just a, this is from the end of the volume one of In Search of Lost Time, and it's just a brilliant bit of writing about nostalgia, really.
What a contradiction it is to search in reality for memory's pictures, which would never have the charm that comes to them from memory itself, and from not being perceived by the senses. The reality I had known no longer existed. The places we have known do not belong solely to the world of space in which we situate them for our greater convenience. They were only a thin slice among contiguous impressions that formed our life at that time. The memory of a certain image is only a regret for a certain moment, and houses, roads, avenues are as fleeting, alas, as the years. Very good bit of writing oh my God. about nostalgia. Basically basically saying you can never recapture the woodpecker. That's what he was getting at. Well, yeah. That's what he's getting at, is that if you had a woodpecker now, you'd probably find it gross. But what you're experiencing is the remembering of it, which is making it special and beautiful. Yeah. It's a la recherche de cider perdue. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of that um, John Burnside line when he talks about he's working in a factory and he goes to clean a bit of the roof. There's, a, there's an extractor fan that gets filled with oil and sort of grease. And he has to go up and clean it out. And he shares a cigarette with a woman on the uh, fire escape who only worked there for a couple of months. And he describes her as a girl made beautiful by memory. And it's like if you met that girl or had that can of woodpecker, you, you would be experiencing it without memory. Yeah. And memory is what embalms these these things with with their various aromas. That's a wonderful, wonderful. What what was what wonderful passage, Robin? What was the title? So that's from In Search of Lost Time by Proust, which I can thoroughly recommend. The translation by Lydia Davis because it is really accessible. It's long and it's hard because you're just getting so close to someone's mind, remembering stuff, you know, and so it gets very, very dense but it's actually very enjoyable and f- and funny as well. But as I said, it did take me six months. <laughs> Isn't In Search of Lost Time a line in Gitanjali? Yeah, it might be. Oh, in- no, on many an idle day I've grieved over lost time, but it is never lost, my lord. Thy ha- thou hast taken every moment of my life in thine own hands. Yeah. Um, Good, good, good quote. I mean, there is a thing. Oh, it's probably too much, but it it was it was often translated into English English as "remembrance of things past," which is a line from Shakespeare. But ah. the, in the translation of this one, they talk about how why it's better to be. It makes more sense in the French to be this idea of searching for something yeah. rather than just remembering it. I'm fascinated by the interaction between music and memory as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I'm sure a, a neurologist could probably better explain exactly why this is but I really think it's the closest thing we have to time travel particularly if it's something that you haven't heard for years and years or, or maybe didn't even hear at the time at all I I love sort of picking up LPs for a pound in a charity shop uh, mind you God, they're not they're not a pound anymore let's be honest are they they're a tenner but just on a whim of some band you kind of remember from 1981 um and thinking, well, it might be great, but I'm, it might not. I'm going to give it a go. And you sort of think, nobody else in the world is listening to this right now. This is a unique experience to me. There's no chance somebody else on the planet has put a needle on this. To, and and just the almost the, the dust that's trapped in these in the grooves makes you think of the air in the room when it was recorded. Just that you're you're. It's the nearest you can get to breathing the air of the past. It's 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 like taking a kind of core sample from the the Antarctic ice and 
you know, just that, that those molecules have not been released for 40 years and suddenly you're the person hearing it and uh, I could go on. <laughs> That's I, I wonder, have you read the Jude Rogers book, The Sound of Being Human? Not yet. I think Jude is brilliant. I'm look, really looking forward to reading that. Yeah. I've just started it and it's just absolutely amazing about, she writes beautifully about music, obviously, but she does kind of go in this really nice Oliver Sacks kind of direction where she is talking about why do we? Why does music mean so much to us? Why does it trigger these memories? It's oh, really, really great book. Yeah. Yeah. There's another John Burnside book. I, I put a spell on you, where each chapter is named after a song, and he's talking. He's it's sort of a memoir through the medium of song and memory. Oh, hmm. so many wrecks, so many wrecks on Moon <laughs> Underwater tonight. But, well, given that this is going to be a hefty topic, because we uh, we arrive at the jukebox, Simon, and we're going to need you to put your dream pub album on the jukebox. Was it an easy decision or was it a difficult decision? It was quite easy. Um, are we doing the wild card after that? Yes, yes. Oh, right, that okay, comes. Right, right. oh <laughs> hang on, hang on. Yes, yes, yes. I love yes, how much you know the format. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, first first of all, it would have a jukebox, definitely. Um, and strictly speaking, I prefer a vinyl-only jukebox, so you'd have 107-inch singles, which and those would hardly ever change, you know, so that certain songs become anthems just for that pub, and even the B-sides become familiar. There's one in Brighton like that, actually, The Heart and Hand, where I've actually had a pint with you, Robin. Yes, you that's right, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that the one with the big cat? Yes, Bailey. Oh, I love that cat so much, I could stroke it till I died. The grumpy big bastard, with his, he's got his own Instagram account, he's fantastic, Bailey. Yeah, And yeah. in the most Brighton thing ever, when we had a drink, uh, the, uh, the guitarist from Electrolane was there. Right, yeah, yeah. We met her. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Brighton all over. Yeah, but I'll play along with the album thing, and I, I couldn't help noticing there's no David Bowie. Ah. And, and it needs some. It needs some. So the album I'm going to choose isn't necessarily my favourite Bowie album. I mean, it's right up there. It's top three. But I'd say it's the most satisfying, and it's hunky-dory, right? A lot of people would choose Ziggy Stardust, which is fine. And Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust were recorded almost back to back um, with almost the same band, um, although they weren't called the Spiders from Mars yet. Um, but for me, Hunky Dory edges it um, as a jukebox album because it covers more bases. You've got the kind of invigorating, upbeat stuff like Queen Bitch, which is Bowie's homage to or, or pastiche of Lou Reed. Uh, You've got uh, something as heartbreaking and kind of forlorn as the Bewley Brothers, which is about Bowie and his brother who was committed to an asylum. And most importantly, you've got Life on Mars, which is it's the perfect song for the end of the night. Um, everyone with their arms around each other's shoulders, bellowing along about sailors fighting in the dance hall. Um, you wouldn't need to ring last orders. That would be the tradition in the pub. You stick Life on Mars on and everyone knows it's home time unless there's a lock-in. Yeah, that's. I remember my, our friend Mike saying he was once kicked out of a pub in Sheffield for being underage when he was at school, and he was kicked out during the chorus of Life on Mars, <laughs> like into the crisp winter night. You know, Brilliant. it's quite a nice image. <laughs> yeah, perfect for a pub. Brilliant. She's so squishy in a sad and tan, in a Hello fans of Pub and Pint, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP and now for the first time a podcast host. 
I know that the moon underwater is used to sighing for its letters, so I think you'll love my new podcast that's all about writing letters. It's called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode, I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. So with that, I'll sign off with Yours Sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Great choice for the jukebox, David Bowie, going on there with Hunky Dory. And we now come to your wildcard choice, Simon. Um, What's going to be joining all your other drinks? Right then, well, I normally hate kind of bullshit rituals around booze, okay? So, you know, um, when you're in your first term at uni and one of the older boys says, ah, have you ever tried a tequila slammer? And you've got to go through this stupid palaver involving licking salt off your hand and biting a lemon or whatever. It's childish nonsense. But my wild card also involves ritual of a more graceful kind. I'm choosing absinthe with an absinthe fountain if I'm allowed to pick a piece of kind of gadgetry to go with it. Yeah. Because um, absinthe is arguably a kind of grown-up perno, and perno itself plays a big part in my drinking history. I used to have this thing called a red witch in goth clubs, which is a perno and black currant tipped into a pint of cider. Uh, and <laughs> Yeah, I know. But it's one of those things that it's, uh, yeah, I mean, only when you're 21 or whatever. It seems to be more than the sum of its parts, you know. And absinthe has that same kind of aniseedy flavour as perno, which is a pastis, of course. Um, I think it's got green and anise or aniseed in it and the added element of wormwood and famously absinthe was banned for many years because because uh, it was believed to have hallucinogenic qualities um i think oxford uni plays a role in it becoming sort of rehabilitated the idler magazine that was based in oxford managed managed to get a license to import it and now you can get it anywhere of course but there is i mean sometimes you get stupid ritual around absinthe if 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 you're in the wrong places, if you go on a, a stag weekend in Prague, um, you'll probably come across absinthe with, with smoke coming out of it, like liquid nitrogen and all that kind of gonzo idiocy. So I'm not talking about that. The traditional 
ritual around absinthe is much more elegant. It's all about deferred gratification. So you, you start off with a measure of absinthe in a glass and an absinthe spoon, which is this sort of flat lattice thing. So it's more of a chevron-shaped metal shovel than a, a spoon with little holes in it and a sugar cube. And you put the cube on the spoon, lay the spoon across the top of your glass of absinthe. And this is where the fountain comes in. The fountain is more of a sort of glass water tower, really, with little taps on the side. And you fill it with iced water, loosen one of the taps directly above the cube and just let it drip, drip, drip slowly until it dissolves and the whole thing runs into your glass. And then you get the spoon and give it a stir. And the combination of the sugar and the water sort of emulsifies the absinthe and makes it kind of drinkable because I mean god knows you can't drink it neat it's 70 percent I mean I've, I've made that mistake before yeah. napalm the back of your throat uh, you know but oh we used to we drank it neat the first time we oh, drank god. it Rob we just went it's just like you go to space it's horrible when it was banned when you could first get it after it was banned you just would get these like bottles that look like mouthwash you know but then when you have a real one and with the with the water and with the ritual and it's actually kind of this grey green color it's it's a really beautiful drink it is lovely yeah and it's got that whole cultural association as well which i can't lie i do get off on that the whole thing of the belle époque and toulouse lautrec vibes and the, the age of bohemianism and you know you imagine disreputable poets and painters and writers slowly losing their minds i do love all that i th- i think it's okay to buy into the sort of um the romance of of drinks when you're drinking them because like you know i'm drinking a guinness now and i'm thinking about my trip to ireland and i'm thinking about all the guinness i've ever drunk in my life <laughs> which would take quite a long time but even you know i don't drink a huge amount of red wine but i've got some nice bottles of red wine in my house and i know that when i open them i will feel different i will feel like i'm more sort of respectable and I will feel like I'm more refined Mm. and then when I drink the flavoured ciders I've got I will feel I will remember going to festivals and I'm totally for all that stuff yeah um we've actually got um uh, an absinthe fountain at home I mean I've, I've got a bar in my living room I should say that um literally got a cocktail bar um Uh, It's called the Pink Flamingo, named after the first line of Say Hello, Wave Goodbye by Soft Cell. And uh, we got it just before lockdown in a flea market in Brighton. And it's this huge kind of uh, mid-century, 1950s, I guess, um, thing with it. Most of them don't have a roof on the top and it's sort of quite grand. And uh, it really suits having an absinthe fountain on it. And just that bar kept us sane or or kept us shit-faced really during lockdown (laughs) and and um yeah uh, the the most commonly available absinthe is la fay i think in this country but i'm going to be poncy and go with an imported one um it's not actually from new orleans it claims to be but it's called um absinthe supérieure nouvelle orléans um and it's by jade liqueur from saumur in france um and uh it says uh, on the bottle uh, it's a homage to the town of new orleans which was the epicenter of absinthe culture throughout la belle époque which is debatable by the way because paris and prague but anyway its heritage is firmly uh, represented in the absinthe which gave birth to immortal cocktails such as sazerac mm, sazerac and uh, absinthe frappe so um uh, yeah, it's it's a very expensive uh, absinthe, this one. Um, La Fay, let's say it's 30 quid a bottle. This is more like 70 quid. Um, but I really rate it. And just the homage to New Orleans, because that is one of the world's great drinking cities. I don't know if you've ever been, but goodness me. John, you'd love it if you've never I've, been. I've been there, yeah. I've got a picture of me in New Orleans. 
um, holding a sign that says "Huge Ass Beers." Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing you were, that was probably on Bourbon Street, right? I'm thinking, yeah, it's more. I'm more about the kind of uh, the the other streets like Decatur and and Frenchman, which uh, I mean, it's a 24 hour drinking culture, and it's all kind of these cool little dive bars where. Um, you sometimes you need, you need a password to get in, or or, or 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 there'll be a place that's entirely lit only by Christmas lights, and and there's a there's a there's a dog that sits at the bar and does shots on a on a stool. It's just just the world the world's great, and just the music and the jazz and all of that. It's incredible. So yeah, um, Nouvelle Orleans um, absinthe is uh, my wild card. You're barred superb choice well now we come to the activity or thing or people or whatever that you want to ban from your refuge and as it is a refuge i'm guessing that an awful lot of banning is sort of uh implicit in the pub itself it is i mean uh right i mean a lot of things ought to be taken as red in brighton you you often see signs saying no homophobia no transphobia no sexism no racism no ableism and it's these days it's not even just the obviously lgbt pubs anymore it's a lot of the kind of ostensibly mainstream pubs which is amazing but I'm, yeah i'm taking all that stuff as a given what i'm going to ban is characters okay and i mean a specific thing by this it's not dissimilar to what taylor glenn said about boundaries um i'm talking about men and it's always men who come over and bother you especially about your appearance um they come ambling over already with this kind of twisted smirk on their face which reminds me usually of charlie whelan the former new labor advisor i don't know if you can picture that and um they're smirking because they're already pleased with the zinger they're about to deploy like oh i didn't know the circus was in town or oh is it halloween already that kind of thing um there was actually a thing on Room 101 that really annoyed me. I'm not going to name and shame because I think it's a mate of yours, but this person put in Room 101, people who dress in a sort of flamboyant and extravagant way who get arsy if you come over and stare at them Um, because his reasoning was that they're asking for it. And I just thought, no, that is so not the truth. Um, But yeah, these... Tell me who it was now and and we can bleep it out. It was... Oh really? Oh yeah. really? It's on room one hundred and one, and I just I I don't know the guy, but I was just furious. But I thought, no, you don't understand. Well, We're not, I think yeah. that I think the critical thing in what he said there, if that's verbatim, is staring can be very intimidating. I think if someone looks very different, it's a natural reaction to look longer than you usually would. Oh yeah, but sure, it's the yeah. phrase coming over. Yeah. Well, just staring and gawping, you know, yeah. um, because th- there's this myth that you're looking for attention. You, you're not. Quite, sometimes you're just going out for a pint of milk, you know. Um, you really are, or or you just that's your default look now, and you you don't you just sort of live in your life. And I get it that people are going to stare, but yeah, there, there are ways and means. And 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 the, these these characters that I'm talking about, I mean, that that's that's the reason I call them characters is because that's their self image. They think they're a bit of a character. Um, I mean, I've got other words for what they're a bit of as well, but I, I won't use that on a family podcast. Um, what it is, they engage you um, forcibly in in 
in this non-consensual bonhomie. You know, you're the unwilling straight man to their bants. You're in their world for as long as they choose to hold forth. They stood. There. They always stand there. Uh, they're sort of in your face. Um, they don't want to get to know you. They they aren't coming in with an open mind and open heart to find out what makes you tick. You know, that's lovely if that happens. But I can tell the difference straight away. Characters are always playing to the gallery. They could. They only do it when they've got an audience, right? Um, and a pub very often gives them a captive audience, which is why the pub is one of the natural habitats of the character. Um, you also get them on trains a lot because you can't. Again, you're you're captive. You see them rolling down the aisle towards you with that smirk on. So anyway, yeah, my my pub will be zero tolerance of characters, and anyone comes in does any character in, they're out with a flea in their ear, definitely. <laughs> I think characters is such a good way of putting it. Our friend Chris was talking about there's a pub he really loves, which he basically can't go into because there's this character there who will just chat at you. Yeah, like it's character at you. Yeah, it's... hold court. Like he was there reading, and and this guy shouted, "Oi, book boy! I'm not oh, disturbing God. you, am I?" Can you imagine the Bill, Bill Hicks thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. got a reader here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you reading but for? I, I think it's like it's. Also, it's it's aggression disguised as friendliness. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it there is that tension in the air where what you want to say is "fuck off, mate." Yeah. Mm. Just fuck off and leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. But you can't say that because they're like, oh, "I was only being friendly. I was only being nice. I was only I was only having a chat with you in a pub. Is that against the law now?" I don't know why I've adopted that accent. That Alistair Green video he did recently. Have you seen the Alistair Green one where he's standing at a urinal? Yes. I just think that was just absolutely flawless. This guy standing next to him at a urinal. So, you having a good night, mate? And then he goes, yeah, yeah, all right. You having a good night? Am I having a good night? What do you mean by that? <laughs> like suddenly really threatening. It's like, yeah. It's so well observed, you know. Hurry up, please. It's time. A superb thing to bar from your pub. Uh, but this pub does need a name before we let you go, Simon. And it's been so nice talking to you. I would, I, I, this is one of my favourite pubs. Uh, I'm going to say it. I think the young John Robbins would have liked it. The John Robbins with a Mohican and the green nail varnish and a velvet jacket would have, would have been at home in this pub. <laughs> there wouldn't have been, a, there, there is quite a lot for me to drink in here, actually. I'd probably start on Brains Dark. I'm not sure if I would like it, but I would, I would, I would ve- head very quickly to Cornish Orchards. Um, I'd stay clear of the absinthe. <laughs> I would, I would have, I would try two dogs. I probably wouldn't mix that with the Cote de Rhone, but then, then it's rum and tuaca all the way home. Yes. So what are we calling it? Right, well, I've known the answer to this long before there was a moon underwater because I used to run a club night in London called Stay Beautiful, which kind of had a whole little subculture around it. We had this amazing kind of dressed up, glittery, gender fluid crowds of glam punk kids. So they weren't goths, they weren't indie kids, they were this other thing. And I guess it originally came out of people who were fans of the early Manic Street Preachers and Suede and later on bands like Placebo and Hole and then the Dresden Dolls. But going back, everyone was a fan of David Bowie. And... Um, my my friend, who co-ran Stay Beautiful with me, had come into a moderately large sum of money. He, he'd won the lottery. And we talked about collaborating on making the pub of Stay Beautiful. It would be down in Brixton, where David Bowie was born, of course. 
and it would be my vision but my friend would do the business side of things so so we thought about it but instead he went to bangkok and became a sex toy inventor um <laughs> did not, <laughs> did not is, see the story going no, in that direction <laughs> it's a true story and it's possibly for the best because i couldn't hack it as a hands-on landlord i don't think i'd have to hire a bar manager but we did get as far as deciding the name and the story of how i chose it involves queen they used Ooh, to be yes finally a musician <laughs> i like <laughs> there used to be a pub in brighton called the old queen's head um at the very bottom of kemp town it's now bar broadway which uh, plays nothing but show tunes on these big television screens inside gold picture frames and that's the scene of many a messy night out but when it was the old queen's head the sign outside was a painting of freddie mercury in profile done in the style of an old monarch and uh, oh. yes it was so oh, i always loved that the old queen's head with a picture of freddie mercury's head it was just such a great visual joke and um, just so fitting for kemp town as well so when it came to imagining my own pub I wanted to do a similar thing, but with David Bowie, and the name was staring me in the face, The Thin White Duke. Oh, um, lovely. It sounds like a pub name. Yes. But it's a reference, of course, to one of Bowie's various personae um, from the album Station to Station. Um, and the image of Bowie that would really suit a pub sign, I think, is the one on the cover of Low, which is... That actually is my favourite Bowie album. I prefer it to Hunky Dory, probably. And it is already a painting by his friend George Underwood. It's based on a still from The Man Who Fell to Earth. And it was a visual joke, literally the low profile. Um, but but the pub sign would be a painting of the painting to make it look even more painting-y, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and I just think that and the name The Thin White Duke would be perfect. So that's it. Oh, what a wonderful choice. What a wonderful name. Well, Simon, thank you so much for not just your company, but your expertise and your insight and your fantastic take on the world. It's really been so great to chat to you. Thank you. It's been a real honour. We have to let you leave to the um, the other realm, unfortunately, but you take your refuge with you um, so that you may have it whenever you need it the most. And to play you out, we'll have a song from your album of choice, which was Hunky Dory by David Bowie. So what song would you like? To end, as we would end every night, it's got to be Life on Mars. Oh, what a treat. Well, folks, we wave goodbye to Simon Price as he tries to clamber back up the Helter Skelter, which is no small task, I have to tell you. Uh, you've got to have really grippy shoes to get up there, and you need purchase uh, on... on, on... <laughs> You need to get some good purchase on the uh, on the railings there. Uh, but Life on Mars will play him out, and we remind you that you can support this this old crazy old bird, this pub, <laughs> uh, by going to moonunderpod.com or patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod. And we will see you back here next week. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.